Hello, church, and welcome to the FUMC Borough Podcast. This week, Reverend Drew Shelley is continuing our Lenten series called On the Way to the Cross, Living a Cross-Shaped Life. He's preaching out of the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and his sermon is called A Fearless Confession. We appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. We would also love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for modern worship or 10.30 a.m. for traditional worship. Both of those services are offered virtually via our website, Facebook, and YouTube, or in person. Head on over to fumcm.org for more information about our safety protocols if you choose to join us in person. We are so glad that you have chosen to be in ministry here with us at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And we pray that we can all live into our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. Oh God, we give you thanks for your presence with us. We're thankful for the great privilege of worship, something that not all believers get to do as easily or as simply as we do. We don't take it for granted. Lord, this COVID thing has taught us not to take anything for granted. So we we praise you and thank you. We thank uh, all of those who make this work uh, possible, who make this experience possible. Now, O God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will move in a powerful way as you speak to us through these ancient words. Give us ears to hear and give us hands and feet and mouths and ears and eyes to do that which you call us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and together we say, Amen. Luke chapter 12 is our gospel lesson, verses 1 through 12. Let's hear the word of God. Meanwhile, when the crowd gathered by the thousands so that they trampled on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, that is, their hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed from the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers and the authorities, Do not worry about how you are to defend yourselves or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you ought to say. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. 
Now, this is a text, a scripture about integrity of life and a fearless confession of Jesus and the way of Jesus in the face of the world. I wish I could tell you that my integrity of life is rooted in a fearless confession of Jesus and the way of Jesus in the face of the world. But the truth is, I suspect my integrity of life has way more to do with not disappointing my parents and being afraid of my mama than anything else. For most of my life, I have measured my behaviors, my choices, and my decisions against the yardstick of what will happen if mama finds out because mama is going to find out. I can't lie to my mama. You may have that experience too. It's not because I I don't want to lie to her. I've tried. My goodness, I've tried over and over. It's not that at all. It's because she always knows. She always figures it out. Now, my little brother can lie to her, and she'll never know. He can lie to her all day long, and she doesn't know. You let me say one thing that's not entirely true, and she'll say, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. It's been this way forever for me, second grade, third grade, ninth grade, college, graduate school, doctorate, age four, six, 16, 21, 32, 36, 40, no matter when, same thing. Do I forward this email? What if mama saw it? Do I say this bad word? What if mama heard it? She says it doesn't matter. She doesn't want me saying it. And she'll find out if I say it. Can I shade the truth just a little bit? Nope. She'll figure it out. She does it every time. Got my driver's license on a Wednesday, the same day I turned 16 many years ago. That Sunday, I drove to town for church, went back home, and started back to town for the Covington Heritage Day, a big deal for our community. Well, I was pulled over by a very serious state trooper, 62 in a 45. That trooper walked up to my door. I had to lean over to get the window handle since it would fall off and slide around in the floorboard. He got all excited when I did that and banged on the door and put his hand on his pistol. So I had to kind of poke him in the belly just a little bit with the door to explain my window situation. After we got that sorted out, we sat on the tailgate of my old truck for 20 minutes while he extolled me with the virtues of driving the speed limit. All of Tipton County was passing by, one right after the other. I I thought I would just get a warning, especially since all this community shame had been applied to. Nope, that was not the case. I got a ticket, marked reckless driving, too. Four days in, and I'm already a marked man. I drove on to town trying to figure out how to keep this development from my parents. I finally reconciled myself to having to get Daddy involved. Daddy would not overreact. I thought, I'll just get Daddy involved, but we cannot. We cannot get Mama involved in this. I got to my grandmother's house so we could uh, walk up to the square together. Her phone was ringing as I came in the door, and Nana said, hello? Why, yes, he's right here. She looked at me and said, it's your mama. I said, no, ma'am, it's not my mama. No, ma'am. Mm-mm, no, I am not talking to her. And she said, it's your mama. Take the phone. I said, hello? Mama said, you could have killed somebody. How fast were you going? It's just been four days. I started up a lie. I really did. I started up a lie, but it died in committee in my brain. Even at 16, I already knew better than to try to lie to my mama. Ten years later, I'm graduating from seminary. I was so done with seminary, with all kinds of school back then, getting ready to go into the 830 worship service at the Cookville First United Methodist Church. I said to my old usher friend there, I'd known him a long time, I said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to walk at seminary graduation. I just don't want to go back down there, and I don't want to deal with all that. He said, I don't blame you, Drew. I wouldn't want to do it either. 
went back by my office after worship on the way to Sunday school. It's about 9.32. My cell phone is ringing. I see that it's mama. I think something is wrong. So I answer, well, she says, your daddy and I are just so disappointed to hear that you aren't going to walk at seminary graduation. I can't believe you do all that work and then not walk. She just went on and on. I said, mama, just a minute, just a minute. I literally just spoke those words for the first time. How could you possibly, possibly have found out in an hour from 300 miles away? Well, apparently, my old friend called his old friend, who happened to be my ag teacher in high school, and told him what I said. He told his wife before church. She told her Sunday school teacher, who told the preacher, who told my grandmother, who stepped out and called mama between Sunday school and church. Who needs Twitter when you have all that going on? You see why this has been a part of my life. I can't lie to mama. can't keep anything from her. You might as well just do right and tell the truth best as you can. It's kind of like Mark Twain said, the less lies you tell, the less you have to remember. (laughs) Integrity of life and fear of mama, they kind of go together, don't they? Thousands of people, thousands of people are crawling over one another to listen to Jesus here in Luke chapter 12. He zooms in on his disciples and he nails the hypocritical Pharisees for dotting every I and crossing every T while forgetting that which is most important. He says, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. It is the naming of a social dynamic that still gets under our skin today. How many times have we watched the news of some political figure or preacher or somebody famous and heard, well, I've decided to step back from the public eye to spend more time with family, blah, blah, blah. You know how this goes, and you know as well as I do, 90% of the time, they've been caught doing something. Now they just like to disappear for a while. Or maybe there is that apology worked up by a spin doctor, takes 25 minutes to get it out, three pages of text and an appearance on network talk shows all week long. I could save them a lot of words. Just use five words. Say what you mean. I'm sorry I got caught. That's it. You can ask my mama. That's what most of us are really saying most of the time. (laughs) I think we all long for the day when the light of Jesus will disinfect this world and us too. When we'll all say what we mean and mean what we say, especially when we need to start with, you know, I don't know, I'm not really sure. When we can stop playing games, stop avoiding each other, and stop hiding from the hard conversations we need to have. We long for that day when our lives will align so completely with the good news of Jesus Christ that folks won't be able to confuse us for anybody but followers of Jesus even though we don't get everything right, and even though we don't agree on everything either. In verse 4, Jesus shifts his teaching to words of warning for these who will know both persecution and the temptation to become like the Pharisees. He says, don't be afraid of what people think about you or what they can do to you. Fear God, the only one who can both kill you and cast you into hell. Yes, fear God. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet God doesn't forget any of them. God knows how many hairs are on your head. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You are worth a lot more than some sparrows. It is a strange and unsettling speech, like maybe Jesus is all excited by the crowd. We wonder, are we supposed to be afraid or not be afraid? Be afraid or not be afraid? It helps us understand 
it helps us to understand that what Jesus says when he says fear God is that Old Testament idea that really means respect, revere, and obey God. He even clarifies himself, do not be afraid, but respect, revere, and obey God as the source of all that is right and holy in this world. It's not the Pharisees we need to pay attention to, or the preacher, or the boss, or your spouse, or even your mama. It's God who invites us into this beautiful relationship of growth, accountability, and grace. Then comes the hard part. Acknowledging Jesus and the way of Jesus before others starts in verse 8. Now, it can sound like this is the old, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. Then we're good. It sounds like it's that kind of a kind of a thing, but no, that's not what this is talking about here. Jesus is talking about followers of Jesus who recognize that the way of Jesus very often doesn't line up with the way of the world. To acknowledge Jesus before others is to notice to name and to navigate those differences with Jesus in the way of Jesus. He gives us lots of examples throughout the Gospels. With self-righteous religious people, it might mean turning over some, some tables, literally and metaphorically. With broken sinners like the woman caught in adultery, it means standing in the gap for them, speaking words of love, grace, and hope for something better without judgment or condemnation. With those in positions of power and authority, it means living as a constant reminder and witness that the kingdom of God is already here, bringing wholeness and flourishing to all people in Jesus, not just the best, brightest, and the richest. With the person in the mirror, it means self-awareness and a willingness to do the hard, hard work of growing and becoming the people God believes we can be. It means living with a deep humility because none of us is there yet. Now, in the Greek, in verses 9 through 12, Jesus says quite clearly, there is denial and then there is denial. In Jesus, God is profoundly gracious and understanding of our many failures and denials. What matters is that we get up and try again. God honors that time and time again. The stern warning here is for those who persistently, persistently resist and reject the appeals of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, don't worry about messing up and failing. That's part of discipleship. But do not persistently resist and reject the appeals of the Holy Spirit. That is what it is to deny Jesus. Acknowledging Jesus and the way of Jesus in the face of others is deeply challenging. The closer we study the Jesus of the Scriptures, the more we see that the way of Jesus is really different than the way of the world. You and I must notice, name, and navigate these things with Jesus in the way of Jesus, not in some other way. I want to share a very specific example because I feel like I'm talking in vague generalities right now, and I want to get right down to the brass tacks. In another place and time, I was part of something that was beautiful gospel work. A city manager who was a Christian and a handful of others 
took a look at that community that had long been ravaged by drugs and poverty, and they said, what can we do to really fix this? Not put a Band-Aid on it, not throw money at it, not any of that kind of stuff. What can we do to cultivate healing, wholeness, and the opportunity for all people, all of our people, to flourish? That's gospel talk, isn't it? That's the gospel put to work. I was invited to work on this, too, as a representative of the church and the clergy community. Hundreds of other people work together to learn, understand, ask the right questions, get beneath the surface, and ultimately to create a pathway of hope, including business, government, law enforcement, school systems, churches, and the whole community. It was hard, hard work with the hardest work still ahead, years of it, to create the kind of a place where healing, wholeness, and flourishing could be real and tangible. When the actual work started, after the plan was written and published, things got tough for that city manager, really tough. From my perspective, I saw that there were folks with deeply vested interests in maintaining the status quo, even though the status quo had clearly been enslaving folks in addiction and poverty for years. They could see this work would soon, they could see that this work would soon upset that status quo that had given them so much. So they worked their magic from behind the scenes, of course. All sorts of bizarre things started happening. Oh, we started hearing, let's don't get in a hurry. We started hearing, well, we like our little community like it is. Don't go attracting too many people and jobs. Folks started getting angry. How are we going to pay for this? And just on and on and on it went. People who hadn't even read the thing started talking about it like it was the communist manifesto written by Satan himself. Here was some real Jesus work. But man, did it catch the attention of people who didn't want to get it done. Ironically, they sat in the sanctuaries of nearly every church in town every single Sunday, and they couldn't see Jesus at work in this. In any case, that city manager lost his job just like that, let a lot of air out of that balloon of hope. I went to see him after things shook out, I said all the things that you say, how dare they, and I'm so sorry, and let's fight it. (laughs) He was hurt and weary, but there was a twinkle in his eye when he said, Preacher, God is doing something. And if all this has been part of getting that ball rolling, it has been worth it. And I'd do it all over again, every single bit of it. Integrity of life and fearless confession of Jesus and the way of Jesus in the face of the world. It is so much more than lip service. It is costly, and we mess up a whole lot. But my goodness, when the Spirit moves and God's people respond, the world changes. Folks find hope, and Jesus is made real in ways we can't even imagine. That's why it matters so very much. The question for us today is this. Does it matter to you? I think that it does. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.